Welcome to the Covenant Women Podcast with Dr. Adonica Howard-Brown, your on-demand source for Holy Ghost-filled preaching and teaching. You bring blessing everywhere you go. You bring freedom. You bring liberty. Out of your inmost being will flow rivers of living water. Be refreshed, encouraged, and strengthened as you hear the Word today. We're going to be speaking about the love walk, and I want to start off, first of all, by talking about the different words in the Greek language. There are four words in the Greek language for love, and in our Bible, love is translated as just as love, and sometimes as charity, which charity is love in action. And uh, unless you know from the original, you know, there are many words in the original language many ways that the that things were phrased many words that were used that are very self-explanatory in the original language but when they translated them they translated them as as a different word or they translated them as different words as the same word and so if you just read it in the english without going back to the original you don't get the total meaning of some uh, of, of certain passages and there, there were some things i don't know if you've ever had that if you've read something and it it didn't quite make sense but then when you heard it in the original language or you, you, you obviously you don't know the original language, maybe some of you do, but most of you don't know the Greek or the Hebrew, when you heard an explanation for it or a, you know, a, a definition or a, uh, for that word, then suddenly it all makes sense. So we have to understand that the word love in the Bible, there's not just one word. There's actually there's two words we're going to talk about, but I'm going to actually cover uh, the four words that are actually in the Greek language for love or affection and so that we can have a basis for understanding when we're talking about the love of God, how it differs from the love of man and what it means to us and how much God loves us and how God wants us to walk in it and how we walk it out in our life. So we, we're going to go through that uh, through uh, in these lectures. So the first word I'm going to discuss is the word. Now this word in the world, they think it's the highest form. But in God's program, it's actually the lowest form of love, and that's eros, E-R-O-S, eros. Um, it's the base for the word erotic, and it has to do with sex, sexual love, sexual attraction, physical intimacy. The second word is storge, and forgive me if that's not how you pronounce it, but that's the best way in English to pronounce it. Uh, S-T-O-R-G-E. This word means natural affection. Love of kindred. Kindred of family. Especially of parents for children, children for parents. Storge may or may not take any account of the individual. Storge could be a pat on the head, it could be a smile, it could be a handshake, it, it could be a, a kiss, a hug, it may not mean anything. Um, you know, in, in church, uh, not so much in the world, in the world you'll maybe shake someone's hand, you don't always kiss them unless they're an actual family or friend, but in church we're much more friendly, and uh, so we might kiss someone on the cheek, or we might give them a hug, and I know a lot of times in America, it's more the hug thing. In South Africa, they give you a big smooch, and you see this person coming for you, you go, what are they doing? And, oh, yeah, they, <laughs> they, they, you know, or, you know, if you go to Italy, they're going to do the 
smoochy on the both cheeks. And so, you know, it's different in different cultures, but, um, you know, you could shake someone's hand, you could, you know, touch the arm, give them a pat on the back, give them a hug, give them a kiss, but that doesn't mean that you're in love with them. They're just, they could just be an acquaintance. You know, just a co-worker. So storge does not take an account of the individual. It's just this kind of uh, casual, just affection, just natural affection. Storge, when you combine it with agape, can be meaningful. When, um, we, when, when, uh, when I was first just saved not very long and, and uh, in my first church, the church I got saved in, um, quite regularly they would sing, I love you with the love of the Lord and have everybody go around and shake someone's hand or give them a hug. And uh, one time um, I was just going around hugging people, you know, they say, <laughs> ladies hug the ladies, men hug the men, you know. You had to, you, they didn't start off doing that, but they had to end up doing that because some of the guys would make a beeline for some of the girls, so they had to say, ladies hug the ladies, men hug the men. Anyway, so I hugged this lady, and I, I don't know what her need was. I don't know where she was with the Lord. I don't know what she'd asked the Lord. All, all I know is when I hugged her, I felt the power of God come out of me and go into her. You know, the, God is love, and the anointing is the presence of God. And when the anointing goes out of you, it's the same thing as love going out of you. God's kind of love. It comes from the same place. It comes from your, your spirit man. And we're going to cover some of these other things, but the Bible talks about how that the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. When you are born again, child of God, the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. And so the love of God in my heart just like went like a vacuum cleaner just went in her and she felt that. She was weeping and thanking me and I'm like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I just hugged her and that anointing, that love of God just flowed out of me into her. So when you combine storge, that hug, with agape, the love of God, it touched her life and it, did, it was something she needed at that time and it, and it blessed her and it touched her and it was an encouragement to her. But if you mix storge with, only with phileo, it can lead to eros. So if, if people start getting affectionate and they start getting a little too affectionate, a little too friendly, then it can, it can lead to a sexual relationship. And so that's why we have to draw the line with storge and we have to save those things for that one special person in our life. And so, you know, there's certain love, there's a certain kind of love that's appropriate with certain people. Amen. And a lot of people get themselves into problem when they don't know where to, where to draw those lines. So God doesn't want us to be an ice-cold individual who doesn't love anybody and who's not, you know, not, not, but he doesn't want us either to be running around and, and giving stuff to people that's not theirs to take. Amen. So we have to have that balance in our life. Now, there's a word that's used in, in uh, Romans 1.31 and also 2 Timothy 3.3. I'm not going to ask you that in a test, so you don't have to write that down. But it says it's a storgos, which is the negative storge. It signifies without natural affection. And uh, those passages are talking about that people have no natural affection. It talks about the last days, how, how bad things are going to be, and that people will be without natural affection. So human beings, just human beings, even people without Jesus still have natural affection. They still 
they love their families. And they're still shocked when, when someone doesn't love their family or when someone hurts their children or kills their kids or kills their husband, kills their wife or kids who kill their parents. We're still we're, we're shocked when people do that because even if they're not saved, you still love your family. I mean, you love those that love you. That's just natural. That's just part of being a person. You, you, you have natural affection. And what happens is when people come to a place where they're so deadened by sin and, and so deceived, where they have no natural affection, um, you know, I mean, then they're in a really, really bad place in their life and they can end up doing things that are very wrong. There's, an, there's another word com that's combined with storgos, it's philostorgos, uh, P-H-I-L-O, then storgos is S-T-O-R-G-O-S, and it just means tenderly loving. It's kind of a combination of phileo and storgos. It means very, very tender, tenderly loving, very tender, tenderly affectionate. Now phileo, phileo and agape are the two words that you're going to find in uh, the New Testament. And um, phileo and agape, let me say this right now, are used uh, many times in the same passages and they're translated into the English just in one word, love, but they always keep their own meaning. Even though they're translated love into the English, if it's phileo, phileo means phileo, it'll never mean agape, and agape will never mean phileo, it always just means agape. Both phileo and agape are, are, are used in many passages, um, they're used for uh, the love of the father for the son. He talks about he phileos the son and he agapes him. It talks about how he, that he phileos the believer and he agapes the believer. Um, uh, Jesus, you know, John talks about a certain disciple, but it was always John was his favorite. It was, it was him himself, it was John. And when Jesus talks about loving John, he talks, he uses those two words. He uses phileo, he also, also uses agape. And um, however, they are two totally different words. Now phileo means to be a friend. So here we go, this is a higher a class, it's higher than eros. See eros, erotic kind of love, eros, I mean, you know, you see some guy on the street picking up a prostitute. He didn't love that woman, he didn't care about her. Um, he's using her. There are people that, that you know, sorry about that, it's a tree. <laughs> it's a tree over there that doesn't want to stand up. Anyways, <laughs> So you can see that even though the world glorifies sex, it's not the highest form of love. It's not, you know, because a lot of times there are, especially in the differences between men and women, men will take whatever they can get, and women will give sex for love and thinking that if I give it to him, then he'll love me, and that's not true. That is not true. That is, that is a total deception, and the, and the world believes this deception that if I, if I give myself, because the guy will say, oh, if you love me, you'll sleep with me. You lying dog. <laughs> and you know you're lying when you say that. And the girls are just stupid enough and desperate enough to believe that. And then when the guy, you know, gets what he wants and doesn't call her again, she's like, oh, I don't know why he doesn't call me. Well, you know what? That's all he wanted in the first place. He didn't love you. And, uh, and you don't love yourself if you let yourself be put into that position. And uh, you didn't love him either. Because if you love someone, you'll love them enough to keep your hands off and to honor them and to respect them. Because you know, until you put the ring on her finger, she's not yours. And you know, a lot of times we go into a relationship thinking, oh, this is, this is him, this is her, this is it. And then, but then when we really get, when we get to know that person, then we go, oh, hold it a minute. 
I mean, I fell in love many times as a teenager. Oh, he's so cute. Oh, I like him. There was, you know, stuff that I liked about him and whatever. And then, then I'd get to know him and realize, okay, he's got all these great qualities here, but he doesn't have this, he doesn't have this, he's not the right one. I'm out of here. And, but when I met the one that had everything, I said, I'm staying. I'm here. This is, this is where I belong. But you have to get to know someone before you know that. So sometimes you go into something and you think, oh, this is the person. But then in, in the process of, of time, and that's why you shouldn't rush something, not unless you've really had a word from God. If God and even then, you know, in the natural, you still have issues to work out. And um, my husband heard from God with an audible voice. And yet we still had to spend some time getting to know one another and, and you know, before we could get married. And you, it's always good to start off on a good footing. And if you have to wait a little while, if you have to step back a little while, rather do that, rather wait a little bit and make sure that when you do it, that you start off well. Amen. Amen. So uh, just sex is not love and you shouldn't rush into, you shouldn't just partake in that aspect of a relationship with someone until you've made a commitment to them because otherwise if, you, if that relationship doesn't last and the, stat, the, the statistics show, you know, a lot of people think that if we, if we live together before we get married, then we'll know, you know, if we should get married. But the, stati the statistics show that more people get divorced out of the live together group than those who didn't live together. So living together is not a good preparation for marriage. Being a friend, having friends is a much better preparation for marriage. Amen. Amen. Having good friends, being a friend, going through the ups and downs of a relationship, maybe being upset at each other, being angry at each other, talking things out, being honest, being truthful, working it out, that's a much better preparation for marriage. And so it's better to not take the, the relationship to that place because you may not stay together. And even if you do, that sin is going to come with you into your marriage and it's going to affect your marriage and the way you feel about each other and the trust you have for one another. And trust is really important. Trust is a really strong foundational uh, brick of, of the house of marriage. Not just love, but trust. So sex is the lowest form of love, and yet the world has glorified it to the ultimate, to the highest, but it isn't. So we have, so we have eros, we have storgate, then we have phileo. So phileo now, phileo has to do with friendship. It has to do with being a friend. It has to do with companionship and loyalty. Loyalty, commitment to someone. They're not just your acquaintance now. You're committed to them. You're loyal to them. You're their friend. That's what it means to be someone's friend, is to be loyal. There's a lot of people who call themselves a friend, but they're not loyal. Being someone's friend implies a loyalty. Amen. Phileo means to be fond of an individual or an object. Um, it means tender affection. Um, having affection for, denoting personal attachment as a matter of sentiment or feeling. So it's being personally attached to that person. If someone's just your acquaintance, you don't know much about them, you know, you can say, hi, how are you, bye. But when you start getting to know someone, you start getting involved in, your, in their life, and you, you start getting attached. You start, you know, having, you start liking them, whether it's a, you know, a girlfriend or a boyfriend, whether you're a girl or a boy, 
just a friend friend I'm talking about. You, you start becoming attached to that person. You start beginning to, uh, to care about their welfare and how they feel and, and all of those things. Then, um, now, phileo, phileo is, is not completely unselfish, though. Phileo does think about itself. Phileo arises from our feelings. How does the other person make me feel? It's, a, it's all about how they make me feel. I'm not going to be a friend to someone that makes me feel bad. I, I'm not, I'm not going to be a friend to someone who... And, and, you know, and the crazy thing is some people are friends with people who make them feel bad <laughs> in saying that. But, you know, a lot of times you, you have friends that manipulate, but that's not, that's not a true friend either. So you will hook up with people that, you know, in the body of Christ, God tells us to love everybody. But it's a fact of life that you're not always going to like everybody. You're not always going to get along with everybody. So there, there might be some people that you have to just choose to love from a distance. And that doesn't mean that you should run away from, from every person that you don't like and not deal with your own issues. Okay? But there are just some people that just, even some Christians, they just they have a different outlook on the world. They've got a different view of how things should be. And you just... You don't see things eye to eye, and, and that's not bad. We need to grow to a place where we, where we respect people's differences and where we don't make them um, a reason to be split off from each other or to judge one another or to condemn one another because, you know, it's like every evangelist thinks that everybody should be out there doing what they're doing, and, and yet there are people that, that are called to, do, to teach or to pastor, and they just, they're very uncomfortable just doing a strictly evangelistic in, in a strictly evangelistic ministry. So everybody, I'm just using that as an example, everybody should be a witness in their own personal life. But every, every one of us has our place, everyone has our function, every one of us is good at things or, or yeah, good at some things and bad at others. And we are, uh, because of our personalities and because of what the way we see life, we are going to get along with some people. I mean, there's some people that I meet, and the moment I meet them, I know I like this person. I don't know how, I just know, and as I get to know them, I, I, know, I know I like them. It's just, it's just a feeling I have when I meet them. There's other people I meet, and I don't like them. And then I realize why I don't like them. Then there's some people that I, when I first met them, I maybe didn't like them, but when I got to know them, I, just, I found out, hey, they're actually, they're, not, they're okay. They're a nice person. I can, I can live with this person. But there are going to be some people that you like, and there's going to be some people you don't like, and you, you still got to love them all. But you don't have to be friends with them all. Oh, amen. You can't be friends with everybody. You, you know, it's not humanly possible. <laughs> So, so phileo comes out of our feelings. It's, it's uh, a love that consists of whatever we see in a person that gives us pleasure. It's a love that consists of whatever we see in a person that gives us pleasure. Phileo has expectations. Phileo says, I love you because, because you please me, because you do something for, for me because you make me feel a certain way, because you meet an emotional need, whatever it is, Phileo has a reason for being there. The quality of Phileo is determined by the, um, sorry, yeah, the quality of Phileo is determined by the amount of pleasure each person gives the other. So if you have two low quality characters, they will have a lower quality of Phileo than two higher quality 
characters. What I mean by lower quality and higher quality? Well, lower quality is someone who doesn't know how to be a friend. If you don't know how to be a friend and you're with someone who doesn't know how to be a friend and you, you don't have a, a capacity for a relationship, there's no, you're, you're a selfish individual, that, that, will, that friendship's not going to be much. It's going to be real minimal. But if you have people that have learned to be unselfish, that are kind, that are generous, and you have the two of them together, they're going to have a wonderful friendship. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you might have had many friendships. All of us have had many friendships through our life, and some of them have been difficult because the people have been selfish. They haven't, uh, you know, given in the relationship. Maybe you were the one that, that gave in the relationship more. And other times you might have had a relationship where maybe you were a little bit selfish and that person was more of a friend and kinder and nicer to you. Or maybe you had someone where you both loved each other equally, you understood one another, you, you stuck up for one another, you, you, you gave into that relationship. That makes the friendship a higher quality. That makes it stronger, that makes it better. So, you know, people, look, people are always looking for something in someone else that will fulfill something in them. Something in, like we do it with our marriage relationships. We look for somebody that will, that will complete us, somebody that will fill in the gaps for us, will make up for where we are weak. And that's not, that's not a good way to choose a life partner. Amen. We need to come to a place where we are whole in ourselves. And that's something that can only be by the Spirit of God. We have to be a whole person. We need two whole people coming together in marriage, not two half a half a people, because you're still going to have a half a relationship. And I, I learned that in some things, I, there were certain areas that my husband was naturally better at than me. And um, so I wanted him to take responsibility in that area and be what I wanted him to be and, you know, take care of that area. And, and he didn't do it like I wanted him to. And it disappointed me terribly. I mean, he really let me down. And I wasn't very happy about it. And finally, the Lord said to me, he said, why don't you build up that area of your character? Why don't you allow me to do a work in you and make you stronger in that area so that you can be what, what you know needs to be to make this thing work? And so I had to stop expecting him to do it just because I didn't want to do it or because I didn't feel like I had the capacity to do, to do it and I had to find the capacity to do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And so we need to realize that you can't go through your whole life always only just living in this area of phileo expecting other people to come up and meet your expectations and do what you want. Amen. Amen. If you're a sinner that's all, that, that's all you can know. That's the highest form of love that you can know is that friendship commitment. But God has something better for us. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Amen. That He's put His love in our heart and we can go to a, to a new level. Let me say this about phileo. Phileo is never used in a command for men to love God. God never says, I want you to phileo me. He always says, I want you to agape me. He agapes us and He phileos us. But agape first. Let's look at agape. A-G-A-P-E. Agape is the God kind of love. Some people say that Jesus actually introduced this word into existence. People didn't have a clue what agape was before Jesus came along. 
Agape is the highest form of love that anybody can operate in. The quality of agape is determined by the character of the one doing the loving. The quality is not like phileo. Phileo doesn't have to do with the other person. Agape has nothing at all to do with the other person. Agape is completely dependent on the character of the person doing the loving. Agape is not drawn out by any excellency in its objects. So phileo, we can, that phileo is kind of the fall in love thing. We see something in someone else that we, that we like, that we love, we're drawn to, we're attracted to. There's something in them that draws out our love toward them. When, when you're married and your husband brings you flowers, um, you, I mean, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's, that's bringing out the, the phileo. He did something that causes a response in you. There's nothing with agape love. There's nothing in the object, the person being loved, that draws the agape love out of the person doing the loving. The person doing the loving makes a decision to love, chooses to love, and loves in spite of. Loves anyway. Agape, when used of God, expresses the deep and constant love and interest of a perfect being toward entirely unworthy objects. So God, who is perfect, loves that which is completely imperfect, unworthy, unrighteous, ungodly. There was nothing in us without Jesus. There was nothing in us that God could love, but he chose to love us anyway. That is really something people have a hard job getting their brain around. Even many Christians, and I can see it in Christians, you can see when someone has been beat up their whole life and they carry a, a deep inferiority complex, they have a really hard time receiving God's love. You can talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, but they have a really hard time understanding, getting their brain around that and receiving that. It's really something that you have to receive by faith and meditate in it. If you, if you don't know how much God loves you, you just need to meditate on that. You just need to live in those scriptures. You just need to make it part of your, your focus every single day and allow the Holy Spirit to make it real on the inside of us. That's why I, I believe it's very important for us as Christians for us to show people unconditional love because it gives them a point of reference. Amen. We are God's representatives here. When they look at us, they see Jesus. And that's why it's very important that in our everyday life, especially in our homes, because a lot of times people will put on the face for other people, but in their home, they the real them, the real ugly them. <laughs> God wants you to be the real nice you. He doesn't want you to be fake. He wants you to be real, but he wants you to be the real nice you. <laughs> and ha having allowed his Holy Spirit to do his work in your life and just to walk it out. And the first place you need to walk it out is in your family. Amen. Don't save it for the world. Don't save it for people out there that don't really 
mean anything to you. Save it for those people that mean a lot first and then, and then go from there. Okay. Agape is unconditional. Agape has no conditions. I had an experience after Kelly died where um, I, had, I saw several visions and uh, had, you know, just several experiences with the Lord. When, when you release a family member over into, into heaven, heaven becomes very real to you, especially when it's your child. And um, I, I mean, when, when she died, I felt like earth was here and heaven was here. And there was just this very thin, misty veil between the two. And I felt like I could just reach out and, and put my arm into heaven. Obviously, the whole of me couldn't go there. But I felt like I could just reach out and, and touch it. I could feel it. I could, it. It felt like it was very close. And um, uh, Kelly, when, um, when, before she died, we really uh, asked the Lord for a word from him. And I, I did that many times, many times. I would always ask the Lord, Lord, give me, give me a word to stand on. Because without God's word, you can have no faith. There's a lot of people that are asking God for things and believing for things, but they don't have a scripture to stand on. If you, if you want something from God, you have to have a word to stand on because you can't ask God for something that isn't in his word. And there's, there's a word that covers every area of your life. And so you have to have a word. You have to have a promise. Otherwise, how can you have faith? So, so there were many times through the years where I asked the Lord for a specific word about a specific thing, and he always gave it to me. And one of the words God gave us right before she went was that um, she will, uh, well, one of the ones she was hanging on to was, I'll live and not die and show forth the glory of God. But it was the one that says, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. And uh, anyways, I, my husband and I held her in our arms and watched her breathe her last breath. She was perfectly healthy and fine, except she just ran out of lungs, had cystic fibrosis, her lungs... Got so much, had so many infections, got so much uh, scar tissue, so much damage that finally she just couldn't breathe anymore. And we held her when she went. And the next day was Christmas, well, it was that morning, was Christmas morning. We went home and the whole day was kind of numb, which, you know, which happens when, when something like that happens. And 24 hours later, 4.30 in the morning, we were woken up by a phone call. But I heard the Spirit of God say this to me. I heard him say, Somebody has to call out from the earth and meet Kelly and Jesus halfway. Because there were several things that happened. One of them was that before Kelly went, she, and she always had a vision to be healed. Her, she, and, and honestly, God sustained that, that girl. She lived for 18 years. She had moderate lung damage at the age of three. She should have died. She was in hospital many, many times over. There were two times in her life where we did almost lose her. The one time the doctor actually said to me, he said, I know that the medicines did not heal your daughter because when she came into the hospital, I was convinced that we would lose her within 24 to 48 hours. That's how sick she was. And he said, in 18 days, there's no way that our medicine could have made her go from that to this. She was so much better. He said, God really touched your child. And I know that he did because there was a specific thing that happened and God turned it around and she totally began to get better from that moment. And so God preserved her life. I mean, that she lived for 18 years was the miracle. Because so many kids with le that went through less than she did die around 12. Many of them die around 11, 12, 13 years old. And she lived till 18. So God did extend her life. He did preserve her. But 
really what happened was she allowed herself to rest on our faith. And we tried to build her faith up for her, but she really rested on our faith. And she told us that right before she died. She said, Dad, I really rested on your faith. And I didn't do enough to, to build up my own faith. And I felt that, I felt like uh, there's a, I, 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 I feel, I see things in pictures and movies are pictures. And so there's a movie where the guy's on this wire and he's holding this woman above, you know, I don't know how many feet, how many hundreds of feet down. And he's got it by the glove. How many of you seen that, that movie? Come on now. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, okay? <laughs> I can't, I always forget what the thing's called. Cliffhanger. And he's holding the girl and he's telling her, lift your, pick your arm up and grab me. And she's so hysterical that she, she's freaking out. And the more she freaks out, the more, the less of a grip he has. And she just slipped right out of his grip. Well, that's what it felt like. It felt like we were hanging on for dear life and she was just sliding right out of our hand at that point. And so there was nothing my husband could do as her numbers were going down. He knew she was dying. He said to her, she said, he said, she said, Dad, what's happening now? And he said, Kelly, without a miracle, you are gonna, cause she needed every cell in her body brand new, basically. She needed a complete, complete miracle. And he said, with, with, if we don't see a miracle now, you're gonna go be with Jesus. And um, you know, she always had so much hope, so much faith, so much trust. She was, I mean, she planned her life. She was gonna live till she was 85. And um, so uh, she hadn't even thought about dying. We didn't prepare her to die, we prepared her to live. Because when, you, when you're preparing to live, you can't think about dying. And, and I don't have one regret about that because she enjoyed her life. She didn't live it thinking she was gonna die. And so anyways, he, uh, he said, Kelly, I'll tell you what, you go to Jesus, get your new lungs and I'll call you back. And because of that promise, and the Lord said to me, someone's gotta call out. And so we just made her, we, we said, we're gonna call out. It's like just an infusion of faith hit us and we called out and she, she anyway, the bottom line is she didn't come back, but we, we took a whole day from five in the morning till uh, eight in the morning till five at night. And what happened was God supernaturally gave Eric an experience of where he went out of his body, went into heaven, spoke with Kelly. And, and uh, I won't go into the whole thing, but, but we know this, that she heard us and she made a choice. When she looked down and she saw her body, she said, ew, I hate that thing. She didn't want to come back. She wanted to stay. And so we had to release her to stay. And, but I felt in my heart that God took us all the way. And the reason that we called her back, one of the main reasons is because God never told me to let her go. If God said to me, let her go, it would have been hard. I would have cried like I cried anyway, and I would have had to let her go. But he never said that. And I believe that God gave Kelly an opportunity to come back. And it would have been the best thing for her. Resurrection would have been the best thing. She would have come back with a brand new body, which is what she needed. But the vision, and I know they're probably going to ring the bell on me, but let me finish this. Let me get this in quickly. But what I saw was I saw Kelly in heaven and I saw Jesus. And I felt the love of Jesus come out toward Kelly and just wash over Kelly and hit me like a wave. And I felt it splash over our whole family. And I have never, ever, I have never, I mean, I've ministered on the love of God, but I've never felt anything so unconditional, so unjudgmental. It never flickered, it never wavered. Love doesn't have to think, doesn't, love doesn't have to make a decision to love. Love just loves, it's already, love is already decided. And anything you do can't make it flicker, change, waver, or anything. Love is just gonna love. And I felt, I felt the, the absolute, I mean, he looked at her, he loved her. She was so precious so precious and if she chose to come back and fulfill her call and walk it out on this earth 
He would have loved her. But if she said, Jesus, I just want to stay with you. I've had 18 years of hell on the earth. I don't want to go back, even in a healed body. I want to stay here. He loved her. And that was the most awesome experience of my life. One of the most awesome experiencing that love of God and knowing that he completely accepted her, no matter what her choice was. He accepted her. He loved her. He embraced her. And that was the end of the story. Amen. Amen. And, and that is, that is agape love. Hallelujah. 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 <laughs> Thank you, Jesus.